We all know the gnawing feeling of needing to have a difficult conversation with someone. While the conversation could improve things in the long term, in the short term, our fear can win out and cause us to avoid it. The good news is that there are simple skills that can help us learn how to have difficult conversations. Hi, welcome to Your Great Journey. Each week we offer you brief tips, techniques, and insights to help you move in positive directions and master big change. For more information, please visit yourgreatjourney.com. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com forward slash yourgreatjourney. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Today, we're sharing an excerpt from the audiobook, The Assertiveness Guide for Women, How to Communicate Your Needs, Set Healthy Boundaries, and Transform Your Relationships, by psychotherapist Julie D. Azevedo Hanks. This audiobook is a thoughtful, proactive guide designed to help women become more aware of thoughts and feelings, ask for what they need, set boundaries, and speak truthfully for a more fulfilling life. In this excerpt, Dr. De Acevedo Hanks shares a toolbox for dealing with difficult conversations. If you've ever been bothered by a friend, coworker, child, or partner, but found yourself uncertain about how to have a difficult conversation with that person, then you'll appreciate these concrete steps. You'll learn how to create a situation where your message, intent, mind, and heart will be heard and respected by another person. You can feel comfortable having even the most challenging conversations. Strategies for Starting a Difficult Conversation Before you make assertive, courageous requests or statements, there are a few key things to keep in mind about how to best set the stage. Keep listening to learn how to create a situation in which it is most likely that your message, your intent, your mind, and your heart will be heard and respected by another person. Time it right. In comedy, timing is everything. A great joke can fall flat if the comedian's timing is only slightly off. The same goes for assertive communication. Timing matters. A lot. It's a good idea to wait until your emotions are soothed enough to enter wise mind and identify and balance your emotions in a way that matches the message you're trying to convey. Responding while experiencing an emotional flood is generally not the time to assert yourself. One exception would be in the case of physical self-protection, in the face of imminent danger to you or someone else. That is the reason we have the fight, flight, or freeze response. As we discussed in Chapter 1, this survival response can help us run away from danger. However, most of the danger we face isn't physical danger. Instead, it's psychological and relational, and a quick emotional response may not be the best solution to the situation. Here's an example of how better timing could have avoided a conflict. One day, a good friend had spoken to me in a very harsh and accusing tone. Sword stance. She was obviously upset, but I couldn't figure out what she was mad about. I expressed that I wanted her to slow down, that I was feeling worried that I had been misunderstood, and that I wanted a chance to clarify. Lantern stance. She was not in a place to hear my perspective, as she was preoccupied with her own. I ended the conversation and went home. Looking back, I can see that it would have been better to either hear her out 
or stop the conversation rather than trying to share my thoughts and feelings while she was obviously on emotional overload. In other words, it wasn't my time to be heard, it was hers. After a few days, I still felt hesitant to see her or speak with her. When I got up the courage, I asked if we could talk and if she was open to hearing my perspective and feelings. Soft start. She was. When we met again, at a time when nerves were calmer, she apologized for her intensity and insensitivity in our previous conversation, and our connection was thankfully repaired. Seek permission. In tempo with the soft start mentioned in Chapter 6, it's important to approach the other person in a mild and open manner. Begin by inviting him or her into the conversation. Questions like, Are you open to talking about what happened in the meeting this morning? When would be a good time? Or, I have a few thoughts and feelings I want to share with you about our conversation at lunch. Are you available now? Are clear clues to the other person that you want to talk to him or her, that the matter is important, and that you respect the person and want to talk when it's convenient for him or her. Asking permission to open a dialogue with, may I talk to you for a minute, often gets better results than, we need to talk right now. Keep it private. When I was in elementary school, it was common for teachers to correct students in front of classmates. I was generally a well-behaved child and got my work done, and I cringed when the teacher would give feedback or correction to a student in front of his or her peers. I knew how humiliating it would be if it were me receiving the criticism or correction. In general, when you need to talk with someone and share your thoughts and feelings, particularly if it's an emotional topic, it's best to bring it up when there isn't an audience. This demonstrates maturity, is respectful, and considerate to the other person, and creates a higher likelihood that your assertiveness will be well-received and responded to. For example, if your mother-in-law is giving unsolicited parenting advice, Instead of rolling your eyes and smirking in front of the extended family, hoping she gets the message, it would be better to pull her aside for a private chat and say, I feel sad and mad when you suggest how I should parent my son because I think you don't trust me to be a good mother. It is much more likely that your assertive communication will be heard and valued if the person you're talking to isn't also having to manage feelings of humiliation or shame because other people are witnessing the conversation. Put down your crystal ball. We often get stuck in certain relationship patterns and repeat them over and over again. That's just what we do. And since relationships are circular and mutually created, it's easy to think that you can always predict how someone you know well will respond to your assertive communication based on your past interactions. My two youngest kids are masters at this. If they've had a disagreement or fight, they both will come to me hoping to align me with their point of view and solve their dilemma. When I direct them back to each other, they often say things like, I've tried that before. She never listens to me. Or, he'll just say, no, I didn't, and slam the door in my face. It's like they've already played out the conversation in their minds and are 100% certain of the outcome. While we often do some sort of predicting the outcome of future conversations, we may inadvertently be reinforcing that particular outcome by our expectation or certainty that we already know the outcome. For example, if I go into a meeting with an employee who is going to be written up for failure to perform a particular aspect of his job, and I know that he will become defensive and start blaming and belittling me, then I may unknowingly present the feedback to him in a way that makes it more likely that he will actually behave in the way I assumed he would respond. And the truth is, 
that we all like to be right about our predictions of others. It makes us feel in control. But too often, in expecting and preparing for the worst, we actually foster an outcome that we don't want. I'm not saying, don't rehearse the conversations in your mind. It's a good idea to mentally and emotionally prepare for any outcome or reaction. I am saying that rehearsing conversations in your mind and envisioning the other person hearing you and validating you makes it more likely that your communication will be clearly received by the other person. It's the concept of a self-fulfilling prophecy. You want to be right, so we act in ways that make our predictions or beliefs about other people come true. Also, listen to what the other person has to say. She may have some valuable feedback. Give her a chance to express things from her perspective. Communication always goes both ways. Remember how the fifth component of assertiveness, self-expansion, is a sensitivity to the other person's experience? This comes into play here. Breathe. Just breathe. If you're feeling intense, overwhelming emotions, it's probably best to wait a while until you assert yourself. As we've talked about previously in this book, when your survival brain kicks in, you go into fight, flight, or freeze mode and temporarily disconnect from the prefrontal cortex or the conscious problem-solving part of your brain. Pausing to take a slow breath, even just one breath, can take your nervous system down a few notches so you can reconnect with the conscious, intentional part of your brain and respond to the situation in ways that will help instead of hurt you and your relationships. Push the pause button. An emotional skill that is helpful to develop, and these are all skills that you need to practice in order to develop and master over time, is what I call push the pause button. It's like those times when you're enjoying your favorite television show and you look down at your cell phone to see that your sibling is calling. You're really into your show, but you know your father's health hasn't been good lately. So what do you do? You push the pause button on your show and answer your phone. The TV show hasn't gone away. It's just stopped temporarily while you attend to something more pressing. It is the same with our emotions. If our emotions are like the show, developing and moving across the screen, we can learn to pause them, not numb, deny, or bury them, so we can come back to them later. This skill comes in handy not only in intimate relationships, but also in professional settings where you likely have to keep your cool in stressful situations. For example, if someone interrupts you during a work meeting, it may remind you of how your older sister used to talk over you at the dinner table while you were sharing something exciting about your day. A flood of past negative experiences, compounded by the immediate emotional event, might feel overwhelming to you. So it would probably be best to push the emotional pause button. Take a moment to identify your feelings, mindfulness, reflect on why your response is so intense, and wait to do more work on this at a later time. Thanks for listening to this excerpt from the audiobook, The Assertiveness Guide for Women, How to Communicate Your Needs, Set Healthy Boundaries, and Transform Your Relationships. Please be sure to subscribe to the show so you don't miss an episode. And if you like the show, please rate and review it. And please, share it with friends who might also enjoy the show. Thanks for listening. This episode is brought to you by Audible. You can get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com forward slash your great journey.